So 2 Samuel chapter 9, let me catch you up to what's going down. If you want to binge listen to all of the, the previous sermons on David, you can do so on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whatnot, so it'll get you all caught up. But David is at the peak, I believe, of his leadership in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Now, if you remember, he started with humble beginnings. He started as a shepherd boy, and then God called him and said, you will be the future king of Israel. David believed in this, and there was a lot of ups and downs in his life. Raise your hand if you have ups and downs in your life. Can I get it? a hallelujah? Hallelujah. We all have ups and downs. David had a lot of them. Things went well, and things were not going so well. He defeated Goliath, mountaintop, and then uh, the king Saul at the time attempted to spear him, uh, valley low, pretty dang quick. David was intertwined with King Saul's family. Saul ruled over all of Israel, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom. It was all one kingdom. It was all Israel. Saul ruled over it. And through the the uprising, David was uh, fleeing for his life. He was not the king yet. Saul was really intimidated by him, but David was intertwined with his family. He married Saul's daughter named Michael, and uh, then Saul tried to kill him, so then he was fleeing. He's hiding in the woods for, for many years. And then, finally, Saul and his son Jonathan, Jonathan, if you remember, is David's best friend forever. They were going to rule the kingdom of Israel. They had a pact together. David and Jonathan, they came together and said, you're my brother, we are brothers, we love each other like family, and we're going to rule the kingdom together hand in hand. I will be the king. You'll be my number two. We will rule this kingdom together. Unfortunately, King Saul and his son Jonathan were killed in battle. David took over after that the southern kingdom of Israel, while Saul's son Ishbosheth was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel for approximately seven years. And then comes the time where David finally rules over all of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And it says in scripture that God was given him success. And all that he did, his kingdom was expanding. He was winning battle after battle. In chapter eight, verse six, it says, so the Lord made David successful and victorious wherever he went. In verse 15, it says in chapter eight, so David reigned over all Israel and did what was just and right for his people. So things were going really well for David. He finally had all of the kingdom. Things were going great. And there's somebody in the story that we wouldn't think of. If if it wasn't in chapter 9, we never would even probably remember that this person's name was in the Bible, and his name is Mephibosheth. Everybody say, Mephibosheth. Now say it five times fast. Ready, go. It's really hard. I tried this week, and I wasn't even going to try in front of you. Mephibosheth was Jonathan's son. Now, remember that David was best friends with Jonathan. They were like brothers. They lived life together for a long time. They were going to rule the kingdom. And in really a a tragic episode after King Saul was killed and Jonathan was killed, Jonathan's son, who was grandson of the king at the time, Mephibosheth, who was five years old, his nanny grabbed a hold of him and they were fleeing for their life. She grabs, the nanny grabs hold of Mephibosheth. He's five years old, kind of just, you know, if you have kids, he's like probably tuck them underneath your arm. And she's running for her life, whether their, their um, home was being attacked, if she was in fear for her life, so she's fleeing. And in the escape, she drops her son, Mephibosheth. And he injures both of his feet and becomes crippled. We don't know if he had to use crutches. We don't know if he could walk, but with a limp, we're not sure. But all we know is that he had two crippled feet that he lived with for the rest of his life. So 
as Mephibosheth, as a five-year-old, flees, I'm assuming his nanny took care of him for a little while, and he grows up to become a, a young man, and now in chapter 9, he's approximately 20 years old, so he'd been running for about 15 years. Put yourself in this guy's position. Fleeing for his life as a five-year-old, talk about trauma. He's fleeing for his life, and his father, his grandfather's kingdom was in ruins. His grandfather didn't really have the best reputation. For some, he did because he made a lot of people wealthy, but for a lot of people, wasn't the most popular leader. And so think of the shame that this man must have felt. He was a an outcast. He basically banished himself. So this guy, Mephibosheth, is, banishes himself to a really small town, and he's just trying to keep his, you know, he's trying to keep a low profile. If you think about it, in that era, one, he had two crippled feet, and uh, there was no ADA accessibility back in the ancient world. There was no ramps or, or lifts or elevators. So if you remember in the stories of Jesus, oftentimes those who were crippled, all they could do to support themselves was to sit in front of the temple and, and ask for, for money. So he's trying to keep a, a low profile. He basically banishes himself. He's in a lot of fear in that world. He was the grandson of the former king. So you would think that if David now being the king, Mephibosheth may think that David would want to kill him because there could be some type of an uprising. So he, he keeps a low profile, he moves to a small town, and just wants to stay out of it all and live a, a, a normal life. And that's where we're going to begin in chapter 9 of 2 Samuel, verse 1. The words will be on the screen, and you can follow along in your Bibles as well, or the YouVersion Bible app. Chapter 9, verse 1 says, One day David asked, Is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake. Something that I find interesting right off the bat is David is into his leadership. He's been the king for over all of Israel for seven years, over at least half of Israel for 15 years. 15 years in, victory after victory, his kingdom is expanding, he's gaining a lot of wealth, but he's still thinking about his best friend, Jonathan. And he's still thinking about his former family, even though his ex-father-in-law was a psychopath, He's still thinking about them, and he says, is, is there anyone that's still alive from Saul's family line that I can show kindness to? In verse 2, he says, he summoned a man named Ziba, who had been one of Saul's servants. Are you Ziba, the king asked? Yes, sir, I am, Ziba replied. The king then asked him, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. So David's taking the first step. Mephibosheth is is kind of trying to keep a low profile. David takes a step out and says, where is this person I can show kindness to? And remember the pact that David makes with Jonathan. They were going to rule hand in hand. They wouldn't harm each other's families. They were going to live together in the palace and rule with honor and integrity, unlike King Saul. So Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's son is still alive. I think David was a little bit excited. And Ziba says he's crippled in both feet. So I think he banished himself because he was crippled in both, both of his feet. He was disqualified, really, from being the king of all of Israel. He had, there was no um, way that he was going to form some type of an uprising against David. So David says, where is he? David asked, the king asked. Ziba says, in Debar at the home of Makir, son of Emil. Pause right there. This is humorous to me. So again, as I said, 
Mephibosheth banishes himself to this town of Lodabar. In Hebrew, lo means no, and debar means nothing, So or where. So he lived in the middle of nowhere. Nothing, zilch, zero. And the crazy thing is, David will call this Mephibosheth from nowhere to the palace. So in our context of Oregon, this would be like going from a small town to the White House. And I was trying to find, in my perception, the most middle of nowhere place I could see in the state of Oregon. Maurice, put this map up on the screen if you could. So as you can see, we've got Salem over here, the capital of Oregon. We've got the Portland metro area. You've got the Oregon coast. And then you've got cool and hip central Oregon with the, you know, skiing and snowboarding and all the hip stuff and the breweries in central Oregon. And you guys see this white dot that I put way over here? You guys see this? Has anybody ever heard of Jordan Valley, Oregon? Has anyone? There's a couple. Ow, wow, I'm impressed. Jordan Valley, Oregon, basically on the border of Idaho. There's, look at that. There's not even any big cities around. Granted, it's probably a couple hours from Boise, maybe, but it's still in Oregon. Population, ready for this? 181. What a thriving city. I looked it up on Google Maps. If anyone's watching for some crazy reason from Jordan Valley on live stream, I'm so sorry. We'll never be able to do ministry in Jordan Valley after this sermon, but that's okay. They have a couple, like two restaurants in town, and on the, sign, on the sign of one of the restaurants, it says on a big font in the front, we have nice bathrooms. That's what it said. <laughs> Obviously, they might have some people that drive by or something like that. I don't know. So Jordan Valley, Oregon, population 181. That's where I would go if I was attempting to keep a low profile. So imagine my man Mephibosheth, we'll call him Fib for short, my man Fib was hanging out in Jordan Valley, population 181, keeping a low profile. And out of nowhere, out of nowhere, he gets a call on the phone. Mephibosheth, it's the president of the United States. What? How did he even know that I was here? I'm in Jordan Valley. Does the president even know this place exists? And he's called from nowhere to the table at the White House. It's incredible, isn't it? Let's continue on. So David says, where is he? The king asked in Lodabar. Nothing. Jordan Valley, population 181. Really, it was uh, north of Israel, um, kind of up the waterline from the Dead Sea. Very small area. Um, one commentary I read, they refer to it as the ghetto. So that's a Hebrew word there, ghetto. It's not. So David sent for him and brought him from Akira's home. Can you imagine Mephibosheth just chilling, keeping the low profile? The FBI shows, the Secret Service shows up. Mephibosheth, you're called to the White House. You're called to the king's temp castle. Wow. You're like, I'm dead meat, right? Like, who even knows I'm in here? And Mephibosheth knows he's in the line of King Saul. It was his grandfather. So I'm thinking he thinks that he's going to walk to his death. David finally found me. The jig is up. I, I'm, I'm going to die. Verse 6 says, his name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David simply says, greetings, Mephibosheth. I think that David saw Jonathan's face in his son. 
Mephibosheth replied, in terror, I'm assuming, says, I am your servant. Again, called from the middle of nowhere to the president's house. And he lays before David and says, I'm, I am your servant. And David says these encouraging words to Mephibosheth. He says, Mephibosheth, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. What does this remind you of? What Jesus says to his disciples. In John 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Not let, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In the middle of the storm, in John chapter 6, Jesus calls out to his disciples, Don't be afraid, I am here. I am here. So though Mephibosheth really probably deserves to be exiled, David invites him to the king's table. You see the illustration that we're getting at? You see the, the imagery of the story of the gospel that we see? That Mephibosheth deserved death, but David, in his mercy and his kindness, in the peak of his leadership, showed him mercy and kindness and compassion. The imagery we see is that when we stand before the throne of God, what do we deserve? Exile. We deserve to be exiled. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. But God in his loving kindness and mercy shows you compassion. And instead of exiling you from his presence, he invites you to the king's table. He invites you to partake in a meal with him. So David says to Mephibosheth, don't be afraid, David says. I intend to show kindness to you because of my promise to your father. David is keeping his promise with Jonathan. He says, I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Three times in this chapter does David say, you will eat here with me at my table, signifying that he is going to treat Mephibosheth as his very own son, as his very own son. Though he deserved to be exiled, David brought him into his family. Though he was in the middle of nowhere, David called him to the king's palace. And when we are without God, this is us, in the middle of nowhere, and God calls us into his presence, not because we deserved it, but because of his kindness and his mercy and his compassion. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Can I get a hallelujah? hallelujah. That we deserved death. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die while we were still sinners. In the book of Titus, Paul says in more detail, he says this, once we too were foolish and disobedient. Raise your hand if you're foolish and disobedient. Can I get a hallelujah? Just don't, don't hallelujah that. Once we too were foolish and disobedient, we were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. There's a lot of division in the United States of America right now, isn't there? Since we, we hated each other, full of evil and, and envy, greed. But 
when God our Savior, Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things that we have done. We can't work our way to God. It's impossible. Not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. Can I get a hallelujah? Because of his mercy and his kindness and his love for you and for me. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. In the book of Ephesians, Paul says again in chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved you so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, banished, exiled, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. I read this great quote this past week. It says this, God in his grace gives us what we don't deserve and in his mercy doesn't give us what we do deserve. And what's beautiful in this story of chapter nine, this image of Mephibosheth, who really, he thinks that he's worthless. He actually refers to himself as a dead dog. In chapter, verse eight, chapter nine, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully to David after David invites him to eat the king's table. And Mephibosheth says, who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? Think of the shame that he felt the outcast. He's like, I'm, I'm crippled in both of my feet. Like I'm, I'm the son, I'm the grandson of the former king who, who died in battle and nobody really likes him anymore. And he thought of himself as nothing. And my thought is reading through this is how many of us think that we're nothing? How many of us struggle with the thoughts of depression? Why am I here? I'm, I'm worthless. That's what we think. I'm worthless. What you don't see is that you are worth it because of what Jesus has done for you. And he is the one that makes you worthy. It's by nothing that you can do. You cannot work your way to God. It is impossible. It's impossible. And something that I've been reflecting on this past week, and it's, it's, it's just incredible to me. So you all know the story of Jesus dying on the cross, And he looks to the thief to his left, and he says to the thief who believes in Jesus at that moment, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. That thief, had had he been to one church service, not that we know of, I mean, maybe, he may not have even prayed in his life. He had not read probably a Bible verse in his life. He had never been to a small group community. He had never been involved in a growth track. He had never been to church in his life. He may never have even sung and worshiped God. Why did he enter the kingdom of God? Because of God's mercy, compassion, and love for his children. That he saved a thief on the cross. You can't work your way to God. Only his love, compassion, and kindness. And the story of chapter 9 and 2 Samuel is a story of the mercy of God to his undeserving people. 
that Mephibosheth comes before David. He says, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm a dead dog. Me? I'm worthless. I'm garbage. That's why I've been living in Jordan Valley, so nobody knows who I am, keeping a low profile. And David says, Mephibosheth, I am going to honor you in your humility, that you will be treated as my own son. You will eat with me at my table, called from Jordan Valley to the White House. And then David in verse 9 says, The king summoned Saul's servant Ziba and said, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and servants are to farm the land for him to produce food for your master's household. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, will eat here at my table. That's the second sign he says it. Ziba has had 15 sons and 20 servants. So all of these now are serving Mephibosheth. Zebra replied to David, yes, my lord, the king, I am your servant. I will do all that you've commanded. And from that time on, Mephibosheth ate regularly at David's table. Again, it says in this translation, like one of the king's own sons. Called from nowhere, given everything. You and I, called from nowhere, given everything. Because of something that we have done? Absolutely not. Because of God's mercy and his compassion and his kindness and his love for you and for me. And it says in verse 12, Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah. From then on, all were members of Ziba's household. All the members of Ziba's household were Mephibosheth's servants. And Mephibosheth, who is crippled, it says in verse 13, who was crippled in both feet, lived in Jerusalem, and ate regularly at the king's table. That's a 20-year-old for the rest of his life, called from nothing, disgraced by the former, by his grandfather, banished himself, viewed himself as worthless, outcast, a dead dog, and then he's called to eat at the king's table and treated as David's own son. When you are called by God, and you believe in Jesus, you are called a son or a daughter of God Most High. That is where your value is found. But many of us continue to struggle. There's no shame in this. I know there's a lot of people that battle with the constant thoughts of depression, and I'm, and I'm worthless, and I'm, I'm nothing. And as Mephibosheth says, I'm a, I'm a dead dog. Come before the throne of God and understand it's nothing that you can do to be made right in front of God except for your belief in Jesus and his death and his resurrection, and then leave it up to the kindness and the mercy and the compassion and the love of God for you. There's nothing that you can do to work your way to God. I, I struggle with these thoughts too. Sometimes I'm thinking like, you know, as, as a pastor, I'm studying for my, my message. You can always study more. My grandfather, who was in ministry, always said, Stephen, you can always study more, and it's true. Sometimes you get legalistic. Oh, it's not going to be a good story. I need, I need to make sure I, I study, read the Bible for 30 more minutes or else it's not going to be an inspired message. That's really legalistic, isn't it? Now, I want to be the best preacher I can be. I want to be authentic and I want to be truthful to the word of God. But at the end of the day, God is not more proud of me if I study 25 hours or 15 hours, whatever it may be. It's experiencing his love and compassion that you cannot out the grace of God. Does that mean we go sin flippantly? Absolutely not. Paul, never, Paul says, no, that's a stupid idea. It's dumb. Don't do that. But it's understanding and knowing as the thief did on the cross. Again, it just blew my mind. This guy, he probably was a jerk to people his whole life, all we know. 
And only because of God's mercy and kindness did he experience eternal life. This is what God offers you and me. The hope of eternal life that we are seen as worthy by nothing that you or I have done, but by everything that Jesus has done for us. Can I get one more? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. So I'm going to pray, and then Kareen is going to come back up, and we're going to sing one more uh, hymn together as a church. And if, if you have not gotten any communion, um, I'm going to send, hey, Tony, can you go get the communion basket for me, please? Tony's going to get the communion basket. And uh, just raise your hand if you need some communion, and we're going to take communion together as a church family. And if you're home with us watching from online, if you want to go run and grab some communion elements, uh, this would be the time to do that. And we're going to close in worship singing another powerful and, and great hymn. And I just want to encourage you guys that maybe you've been living your life, as I have for a long time as well, um, thinking that you can work your way to God. I want to encourage you to give that over to him today. It's kind of a weird feeling to do that. You kind of feel like, am I betraying God? You're you're not. Just experience his love and his mercy and his kindness in your life and understand that you cannot work your way to God and you are saved and you are seen as worthy by nothing that you have done, by everything that Jesus has done for you. And that when you stand before the throne of God on Judgment Day, as we all will, you will be seen as clean because of what Jesus has done for you, because he's standing between you and God. Would you pray with me? God in heaven, I thank you so much for uh, bringing the church together today. Thank you that we could honor the history and and what you've brought brought us through as a church. And I pray we continue to build off of the DNA that our the matriarchs and patriarchs built a friendliness and love and compassion that we can continue to pursue Jesus together as a community. Let us honor you and glorify you as we take communion together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.
as we close in prayer together. God in heaven, we thank you that we can gather together. Thank you for your love and your mercy and kindness to your children. I pray we can just sit in your love and compassion and this is what we spread. The love and acceptance and compassion of Jesus loving kindness that though we were sinners you still came for us thank you for the matriarchs and patriarchs who built this church building and built the community we still experience today we love you we thank you and all God's people said amen